from the East Coast. To the West Coast. This is the Coast to Coast NBA podcast. I'm Chalinga. And I'm Dylan. What up, Dylan? I'm just finishing up my garden salsa sun chips right mm. now. Mm. Licking my fingers. Yum. All the Let gardening me, goodness on my fingers. Let's hear that, that, that nice finger licking goodness. There, that's what you get. Sounds good, baby. Uh, so how you doing today, Dale? Pretty good. Just had my first meal of the day. It is 6 o'clock on the West Coast. You're killing it, man. <laughs> You're doing really well for yourself right now. And I'm going to destroy you in our conversation about the greatest player of all time. Ooh. All right. So just as a recap, we have been doing a series called Convince Me, where Dylan is trying to convince me of a very bold take. This take is that Michael Jordan is the third greatest player of all time. <gasps> Blasphemy. So far, he's revealed Michael Jordan, number three, LeBron James, number two. And on this episode, we're going to reveal number one. Really quick before we get started, if you haven't listened to our 30th episode, please oh, the puppies. go back and listen to the puppies. Uh, we, ha- we got the opportunity to host the First annual Puppies Awards, which is an awards uh, ceremony for the Timberwolves players. I had to mortgage my parents' house to rent out the Target Center. Yeah, and Dylan, I really am grateful for that. I said you shouldn't do it. I said we don't need to, we can just do it a normal podcast and give out the awards. I said it is for our fans. I'm so grateful for that. I just want everyone to know that I did not ask Dylan to do that. He did that on his own volition, not my choice. Hey. I did it on the fans' volition, and I hope you all enjoyed it, all four of you. Mm-hmm. Go listen to it, The Puppies. It's our 30th episode. It's really amazing. Uh, Dylan, thank you so much for, for giving us all that money so we can get the Target Center. We get to hear players on the podcast. It's really, it's truly, truly amazing. Honestly, you would think that the Target Center was the most expensive part of the whole show, but... The most expensive part was actually trying to get extras to want to go into the Target Center. For some reason, it's really difficult to get any Minneapolis resident to actually enter the Target Center. So we had to give incredible incentives. Incredible incentives. Uh, we won't get into that too much. There was a lot of coast-to-coast swag that we gave out, though. And we did not have a budget for that. But, you know, we got to do what we got to do. So That's right. Dylan, why don't we get started? Convince me... That there are not only one, but two players better than Michael Jordan. Who is your number one player of all time? I was wondering one thing yes. before we get there. Mm. And I might cut this out if it sucks. But I wanted to say one more LeBron thing that I thought was very interesting. And it's just a one, well, I guess it's a one-sentence thing with a semicolon. I'll just say it now, right? Then I guess, since it sounds like you're extremely enthused by it. No, I'm, LeBron James. We'll I'm just waiting <laughs> to hear it. Okay. Uh, LeBron James was not the one seed in seven of his nine finals runs. Huh. Jordan was the one seed for five of six. Okay. I so just thought that was interesting. Is I, That's tough to say if that's like a indictment of LeBron or something that proves his case. I feel like it just shows how much better he performed in the playoffs than he did in the regular season. Right. 
Right. And the greatness of a player is measured by their performance in the playoffs more so than the regular season. Yeah, and the fact that he elevated his teams, that four-seed Cavs team last year, uh, the two-seed Cavs teams of years prior, um, the Miami teams didn't even get the one-seed. And he elevated their game and beat a ton of one-seeds. I mean, granted, some of them were the Hawks, some of them were the Pacers with playoff P, Paul George. (laughs) But I I thought that was pretty interesting. Thanks for sharing, Dylan. Anyway, speaking of <laughs> LeBron, the greatest player of all time also congratulated LeBron James on passing Michael Jordan. And I wanted to read that to you. I just wanted to congratulate you on your most recent accomplishment, passing Michael Jordan. I know he was your hero and how much it means to you to pass somebody you've admired your whole life. Same thing happened to me back in 1984. I was able to pass Wilt's record, someone that I admired when I was a kid. Everybody's asking me how I'm going to react if you pass my record, and the only thing I have to say is if and when that happens, I'll be glad that it's somebody that has shown as much class and caring as you have. Wow. (laughs) This guy sounds like a real class act. That was Allah himself, the great Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Lou Alcindor. Hey, Alcindor, buy our dinner first. Basketball, Allah. Shouts out to uh, Jafar, because that's an Islamic name. That's he right. Not even Shouts to Jafar. Is Jafar's going to be featured on the pod, on the pod recently. Good. Mm-hmm. Wait, you mean in soon, not recently. Oh, did I say recently? <laughs> yeah. Fuck me right up. <laughs> he will be. He will be. He will be featured recently, uh, in the future. <laughs> In the recent future. Uh, but shouts out to Jafar. I'm pretty sure Jafar grew up Muslim. I don't know how Muslim he is right now, though. Well, shouts out anyway, because mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I do think it's a beautiful religion. And uh, Kareem is a beautiful, beautiful man, uh, a peaceful, wonderful human being. And I'm so glad that I was able to make him my goat. Do you have any initial reaction as to me revealing that? Yeah, my initial reactions are, hmm, interesting. You know, the thing about Kareem is that he never had the the star clout that Jordan and LeBron have. He was always a little bit more reserved. He was kind of always like the the dad on the court, you know? He was just the, mm-hmm. the consummate professional. He went about his business and really just cared about winning, showing up, doing his job. There is a piece of greatness that I, I, I think it's important to have a little bit of clout as a great player. And so I'm I'm interested to hear you break down his resume and to see if his on-the-court success can combat his lack of gravity as a basketball player. You know what I'm saying? Oh, so part of your GOAT debate has to be his gravity on our culture? Yeah, I think that I don't I don't know if it's necessarily the end all be all, but I think it's an important part. That's but. interesting. I I would agree and I would also agree that Jordan and LeBron are kind of the two that are fighting for that title. Right. And Kareem is not even fighting for that. But my idea of what the goat is factors in like 
the humility, the the respect for the game that you have, all of those factors were present in Kareem's career that aren't present in any other GOAT's career, really. And I just think that it's beautiful. And the way that he played team basketball was the thing that allowed him to win six championships. Um, the way that he could defer to Magic Johnson or he could defer to whoever else it was, you know? Yeah, I think that's true. And obviously, basketball was not in the place that it was when Michael was in the league. And certainly not now that LeBron's in the league. Basketball, when 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 Lou came into the league, it was different. And part of the reason that people could become super mega stars in basketball was because of Michael Jordan. And so... Or- because of Kareem and Magic and the Showtime Lakers. I guess. And then, you know, Michael rode that wave. I would not say that Michael was less effective. I would say that he's more a part of that wave than Kareem is. But I would say that, obviously, everything that came before him uh, set him up to be as successful as he was right. uh, in, in being a media mogul or being a... Uh, whatever mogul he is now or shoe mogul (laughs) shoe mogul the interesting thing is that kareem actually said that he wanted to be known for more than just his life as a basketball player he wanted to be known for being an activist he wanted to be known for being uh an actor and he was Mm -hmm. he had one of the greatest acting cameos of all time in airplane absolutely so good he's and he's just a really talented person he's always on tv Shuli only knows Kareem Abdul-Jabbar from being an actor, you know, my <laughs> girlfriend. And yeah, <laughs> I think that that's a testament to everything that he did as a player to kind of stretch out from the game. And um, and he he kind of started that. And then Magic Johnson continued it, and Michael Jordan continued it even further um, and to a greater extent. Uh, I don't know if any of that would have been possible without Kareem. His inspiration for that, I just want to say, was... Muhammad Ali, and that is one of the reasons he decided to convert to Islam. Muhammad Ali is on that Jordan level of what people typically think of when they're called goat, you know? Right, right. All right, well, let's jump right into his career. Let's let's hear your case. Yeah, so his career in the NBA started in 1970, and he had very little help. And he beat a really great 76ers team with players such as Billy Cunningham, Archie Clark, Hal Greer. Multiple Hall of Famers were on this team, including Jack Ramsey, who is a Hall of Fame coach. And he had almost no one on his team. He had Oscar Robertson, who was already age 32. Mm. Now, his NBA comparison to today is a Russell Westbrook type because both of them were point guards who could rebound, who could do everything, and they both averaged triple-double for a season. And people have been talking about that for a while, how how comparable they are. Can you imagine Russell Westbrook in two years? He's already wearing down what his body would be like. He is, at this point, Oscar Robertson is a shell of who he was in the 60s and at the beginning of his career. And that was the only other Hall of Famer on his team. And he was up against a 76ers team with, I, did, I didn't get a Hall of Fame count, but it's at least three if you include the coach. 
uh, with Hal Greer and Billy Cunningham and their coach, Jack Ramsey. That being said, uh, they lost to an incredible Knicks team with four Hall of Famers and a Hall of Fame coach in Red Holtzman that would go on to win it all. So his team uh, lost to one of the greatest Knicks team, the maybe the greatest Knicks team of all time. They won in, what, 70 and 72? 70 and 73, I think. 70, actually. 73, yeah. They had players like Walt Frazier, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was his rookie year. He lost to the league champs. Right. And I believe it was in the Eastern Finals. The 1971 Finals was Bucks versus the Bullets. The Hall of Fame count was Bucks 2 with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Oscar Robertson. And the Bullets had three Hall of Famers, believe it or not. Earl Monroe, Wes Unseld, and Gus Johnson. Mm. Four games to zero. He swept the Bullets. Wow. And was he was Did he I, finals MVP that year? He was finals MVP. Wow. Yeah. He was insane. He was by far the best player. So Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's stats were 27 points, 18 and a half rebounds and 2.8 assists. Hmm. Oscar Robertson put up a respectable 23.5 five rebounds and 9.5 assists. Very respectable. That's pretty fucking respectable. (laughs) But they swept a Bullets team with more Hall of Famers than theirs. Wow. They swept them. That being said, uh, this was really the tail end of Oscar Robertson's dominance in the league. Uh, If if you look at his career, his last year as an All-Star was that next year where he would average 17 points, 7.7 assists, and 5 rebounds, which is... Still good, but after that, he started to get hurt, and he he would go on to play less and less. Anyway, in 1972, when did he change his name? I don't know. Maybe I should still be calling him El Sindor. Anyway, in 1972, Kareem loses to the Lakers in six in the Western Finals. They had players like Gail Goodrich, Jerry West, and Wilt Chamberlain. That team was destined to win the championship that year and did. They won the second championship that Will won, the one championship that Jerry West won. Mm. But lots of Hall of Famers on that team. So Kareem changed his name in 1971. Interesting. The year that he won the finals. In 1973, he lost to the Warriors, who had Barry and Nate Thurmond. I mean, that team was really good. And at that point, he was playing with, like, the Cavs era Shaq, basically. <laughs> so the Warriors won in 1975, but they were still on the verge of a championship in 1973. And him losing to um, Rick Barry and Nate Thurman, that's not embarrassing by any means, you know? No. He was still kind of pulling along Oscar Robertson uh, for the second to last year of his career. So let's move on to 1974. All right. In 1974, he makes it back to the finals. He finally gets back to the finals, um, and he absolutely drags his team back there. The Hall of Fame count in this series was the Bucks had two, and the Celtics had five. Wow. Ish. Because they had Tommy Heinsohn mm-hmm. as their coach, John Havlicek, JoJo White, Dave Cowens, and Paul Westfall. 
So Paul Westfall, he just got into the Hall of Fame actually in 2019. Yeah. So congratulations to Paul. Woo-woo. He got in, I would say, as a player, but I would also say that his coaching career, where he took the Suns to the finals in 1993, that probably played a part. But I would say that he's a yeah. Hall of Fame player, not a Hall of Fame coach, because he was a four-time All-NBA player. Anyway, that team was incredible, and they also had baby Don Nelson. The problem is, is that Oscar Robertson's body was breaking down. And when you play the game like Russell Westbrook and you're 35 years old, that kind of wear and tear is really going to break you down. Yeah. And as we saw, that kind of happened. Oscar Robertson was maybe the third best, maybe the fourth best player on that team in 1974 during the finals. So he was 12.1 points, 8.3 assists, and 3.7 rebounds. Mm. But he was shooting 43% from the field. He was not playing very well. But he was still able to get the ball around, I guess, and get the ball to Kareem. But this is the insane part. There were no advanced stats still up to this point, so we don't really know what the advanced stats are for Kareem's career. Right. But he played 49.3 minutes a game. Mm. <laughs> I don't know if that's ever happened that's, before oh, or since. Oh, man, that's a lot of minutes. He played more than one game for seven games. He played more than 48 minutes. Wow. <laughs> he averaged 32.6 points, 12.1 rebounds, 5.4 assists, 2.1 blocks, and a half a steal a game. Jesus. You know, it's his stats are so interesting because... There are some things that are just missing. Like, they didn't even count all the counting stats the first three, four years of his career. Right. So for the first couple years of his career, they didn't count blocks or steals. So we we don't technically know <laughs> how many he had. And so therefore, none of the uh, standard like PER or other advanced stats are available for the first four years of his career. Right. I believe this 1974 season was the first season. Actually, I don't believe it. I know was the first time that they ever counted uh, steals and blocks. And I don't, they didn't count turnovers back then. No, they didn't. (laughs) So there are a lot of things missing from Kareem's resume that would increase his resume today. Like the first three years of the first four years of his career missed out on two of his MVP seasons. And he had six of them. Jordan had five. Wow. That being said, let's get back to this incredible finals appearance. I watched a lot of this game or I watched a lot of this series. I just watched clips that I could find. Kareem was insane in this series and he led a team. He probably carried it a team that was worse than any team that's ever won an NBA finals. And he took a team that was, that's maybe a top 15 team of all time to seven games. He took them to the brink. What was the, what was the hall of fame count here? If you don't count Don Nelson, the Celtics had five and the bucks had two Two with uh, Oscar Robertson Robertson on his last legs. Yeah, exactly. Got it. So Tommy Heinsohn, John Havlicek, Jojo White, Dave Cowens, and Paul Westfall. Wow. In 1975, he lost the big O, Oscar Robertson, and he was hurt 
for 17 games and the Bucks missed the playoffs. That sounds like another goat of the, this year. They went 38 and 44 that year, right? I happened to have looked at that roster and I don't know a goddamn player on that roster besides Queen Abdul Jabbar. <laughs> yeah, they were pretty bad. <laughs> Not a damn one. I was like, who? <laughs> Yeah, well, it happens a lot in 60s and 70s basketball for me, but uh, I recognize Bob Dandridge, and that's about it. He was a four-time All-Star. Okay. But not a Hall of Famer. So, um, And with him only playing 65 games, it it's tough to carry your team into the playoffs at that point. So in 1975, after missing out on the playoffs – he decides to move to Los Angeles. Hey. Did he did he move as a free agent or was it a trade? Yeah, so it was a trade and I guess he didn't request to be traded like Anthony Davis did, but he did tell the front office and was very cordial with them and upfront and he handled it very respectfully, but he was a different guy. He didn't belong in Milwaukee in the 1970s. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, a seven-foot black man who was the best player in the NBA. He didn't get along with life in Milwaukee at that point. Yeah, he was a he was an LA man. He needed to be in a big city. And he converted to Islam and all this stuff. Like he needed to be in a city that was more welcoming and more like inclusive. Yeah. Not that Milwaukee isn't today, but I just mean you know. Well, times are different. Times have been different. But he did it in a very classy way where he where he was very upfront with the front office. Uh, I, I'll read from this article from Fansided. Kareem told the Bucks his decision at a dinner in October 1974. He didn't go to the press, and he gave the team valuable time to make the best deal possible. The Bucks left the dinner hoping to woo him over for the next season, but a variety of factors made that impossible. Mm. So... All right, so he went. He got traded to L.A., and that's when his career blossomed. Not quite. In 1976, the mm. Lakers missed the playoffs. Shit. They had two Hall of Famers, Kareem and Gail Goodrich. Oh, yeah, good old Gail. <laughs> I mean, Gail Goodrich was 33. So. That's true. Oh, they had Pat he was, Riley. He was 32-33, but he was still the... He was still was still the second best player on the team, mm-hmm. and I don't know. It it wasn't a great Lakers team, but it reminds me of the first season of another goat in L.A. Hey, nice. The thing that I take away most from this season isn't that Kareem's not the goat. It's more that like, hey, it takes time to be on a new team with new players and a new coach. Yeah, well, it seems like I don't want to get ahead of you. But it seems like it may have also been a coaching issue because the next year, Jerry West became the coach and they got 13 13 games better even after losing Gail Goodrich. That is right. And the season before, they were 30 and 52. So they were 10 games better with Kareem and 13 games better with Jerry West as as the head coach. Mm. So I think all of these factors kind of played along with each other. And before you know it, Kareem's on a roll in 1977. The Lakers ran into the Blazers in 1977, and they had our favorite, 
Bill Walton, and they got swept by Bill. The teams were about even in terms of how talented they were, but it was just that Bill Walton was a man on fire that season, and he had, between the playoffs of 1977 and 1978, he had one of the best one-year stretches of any player ever Mm. um, where he was league MVP finals MVP. And I believe it was one hall of fame. Well, it was, is Jerry West, Jerry West isn't a hall of fame coach. Would you say he he never won a finals with the Lakers? Uh, See, it's players like that where it's hard to, I mean, Jerry West, obviously his greatness came as a player, but you know, like Jerry West continues to be a, a Hall of Fame presence in the NBA. So Jerry West is definitely a Hall of Fame executive. He was the executive for the Showtime Lakers, mm-hmm. and he was an executive that helped out the Golden State Warriors become what they became. Yep, and now he works for the Clippers. And now he works for the Clippers, helping in, in their front office, not as the number one guy, but as a ancillary person. He coached for three seasons. Yeah. He had 53 wins, 45 wins, and 47 wins. And then he moved into the front office. Okay, that makes – yeah, fair, fair. I'm not going to call him a Hall of Fame coach. So they still weren't – they were still in huge flux right here. And so I'm not going to say that, like, that necessarily the Blazers or the Lakers are better because they have Bill Walton and – oh, they had Jack Ramsey, the same coach as that Philly team in 1970. Yeah. So they had a Hall of Fame coach and a Hall of Fame player, and they were up against uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Jerry West, who's like not quite a Hall of Fame coach, but was a very good coach, obviously, at 53 wins that year. So uh, I'm not going to count it that much against him. In 1978, they lost in a best of three versus the Sonics. Mm. I'm not the biggest fan of best of three. Because best of three I is do tough. Think yeah, I, I do think that it that it's tough for the best team to win every year. Yep. But the Sonics did go on to the finals, and they lost in seven games to Wes Unseld ah. and that Washington Bullets team. Ah. So I do think that there was a chance in 1978 that if they get past the Sonics, um, that they would have been able to win the finals. Obviously, there, there would be a chance because the – Sonics would end up winning the next year and also uh, lost that year in seven games. So I just think that those best of three series when there are two really good teams can really go either way. They really can. I that's which is I think exciting, but ultimately hard to it makes it hard to to look back and say like, oh, man, this was definitely the best team and they lost, you know? Yeah, and I think that's why that changed in the future. Yeah. That Lakers team had Adrian Dantley, Hall of Famer, Kareem, and let me see. Jamal Wilkes was the other Hall of Famer on that team. I don't think there were any others. I don't even know Jamal Wilkes. <laughs> Shows how much of uh, a basketball fan I am. Yeah, I... I would not know Jamal Wilkes if I hadn't been studying the Lakers for the past month. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, he was on that Golden State winning team, and then he was on a bunch of the Lakers team, or a couple of the Lakers winning teams. Okay. 
and was an all-star on, on the Lakers and the Warriors. He was like a wing, small forward, power forward, 6'6". Six, six okay. Type of player. I would have loved to see seven games of that series is all I'm saying. <laughs> but it was a very good Sonics team. In 1979, the same thing happens. The Sonics beat the Lakers. And this time, the Sonics win in the NBA Finals. Uh, good for Seattle. I hope you guys get basketball again. That's all I got to say, really. It's about time for an expansion, I think. I should say so. That 1977 through 1979 Sonics team yes. was extremely underrated. Mm-hmm. The Hall of Fame count for that team was three. And they had other players who were kind of who were all-star level. Um, so I'll just go through them. Yeah. Their coach was Lenny Wilkins, Hall of Fame coach. They also had Dennis Johnson playing at shooting guard and point guard. They had Jack Sigma playing at center. Mm. And they had Paul Silas, who was a two-time All-Star, um, very good player, and played for that same Boston team that beat Kareem. Yep. But he's just a very solid player. He was a little older, but he was still producing for them. I mean, he was a top-five player for them. Right. That's a good team. That's a really good team. Yeah. And on top of all that, they had a guy named Marvin Webster, who was never an all-star, but was pretty good. He was, like, evidently a top two player for them, top three. And then they had downtown Freddie Brown. Hey. (laughs) Who I only know because of his nickname. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a player in NBA history who, like someone says, downtown Freddie Brown. I'm like, that is an NBA player. And I can't tell you a goddamn thing about him. <laughs> One-time All-Star. <laughs> but it's just insane that they, they had such a good, deep team. And I do think that this Laker team was better and that Kareem l- should have beaten this team more than he did. But, like, once again, with his roster being in such flux and having, like, Hall of Fame coaches come in and out and Hall of Fame players retire like Gail Goodrich, it was just tough for him to, like, find any consistency. Right. But... Fear not, because in 1980, he found that consistency because the Lakers drafted Magic Johnson. Hey, man, 10 years into his career. That's crazy. 10 years. I think that, and and he was still playing insane, and he played three years in college, and I'll get to that later. So he was like, what, he had to be 31 at this point, and he still had only won one championship. Keep in mind kids he won six in his career so we're we're getting to it and in 1980 the hall of fame count was three to three the lakers had three hall of famers and the 76ers also had three hall of famers yeah you have to acknowledge though that one of those hall of famers was in his rookie season in magic johnson i would acknowledge that i would acknowledge that that uh magic johnson was in his rookie season but he was also finals mvp (laughs) so so never mind (laughs) um that's crazy let me just get into this uh so the lakers won the lakers won in six games on the 76ers court the three hall of famers for the lakers were jamal wilkes also there was a fourth in spencer haywood but he played five minutes in two games in the finals so i'm not going to count him oh what happened did he get hurt or was he old he was very old, but Got it. he might have gotten hurt. I didn't look into it 
because it was not something that I cared about at the time. But the 76ers had Mo Cheeks, Bobby Jones, Dr. J, and Billy Cunningham as the coach. Wow. An interesting thing is that I guess actually the 76ers had four then. Yeah, I guess the 76ers had four because the Lakers had a, a man named Paul Westhead who was their head coach, and he came in midseason. So they were really lost in terms of their head coach. Yeah, that was I was looking at that and it looked like the the fir- the initial head coach of that season was actually very successful. I think he started like 10 and 3 or 10 and 4 and something. And then he was fired. So I'm you know, this is for another pod maybe, but I'm just curious what the story behind that is cuz that was that's pretty rare that you see a really successful coach get fired. Um, hmm, maybe he was sexually assaulting a reporter. Man, f- no. Nah. In the 80s? In 1980? <laughs> yeah, you're right. They weren't doing that in the 80s. And by that, we mean sexually assaulting. That didn't exist back then. Oh, it didn't exist because no one gave a fuck. <laughs> anyway, whoever Paul Westhead is, because I've never heard of him, he won a finals and then ended up getting fired like a year later in favor of the great Pat Riley. Uh, Kareem would have won finals MVP in this series, though. The problem is is that Magic Johnson... The problem is that he didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Let me just talk about this game, Chalanga. The the game six, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is hurt. Uh... What are the Lakers going to do without their best player? Game six, series on the line. They start rookie point guard magic johnson at center and he had 42 points 15 rebounds and seven assists in definitely the greatest one game finals performance of all time bar none (laughs) that's fucking bananas kareem still had a better stat line uh, he had 33 points, 11 rebounds, 3 assists, and 4.6 blocks. Magic Johnson had 21.5 points, 11.2 rebounds, 8.7 assists, 2.7 steals, and 0.3 blocks. I mean, don't get me wrong. Magic Johnson had a really, really great series. But uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, if he would have played in Game 6, would have definitely been Finals MVP. That Game 6 performance had such a huge impact on the MVP voting that year for the finals. Hmm. And I think without that or with any other scenario, there are so many scenarios that could happen that would make Magic Johnson not the finals MVP. But that one game performance, the greatest finals performance of all time, got him the finals MVP. So in 1981, the Rockets upset the Lakers with two Hall of Fame players in Moses Malone and Calvin Murphy. Malone was the MVP that for the next two years. It was a three-game series, another three-game series, and the Lakers actually scored more points overall. I wish this was another series that went to seven. I can, I definitely understand why they, why round ones ended up being seven games because sometimes, maybe not this year, maybe not this year, but sometimes game sevens are very fun in the first round. In 1982 now, the Lakers 
are back in the finals. The Lakers win again in six games. So the Hall of Fame count was Lakers five, and their new Hall of Famers were Bob McAdoo and Pat Riley. Spencer Haywood was long gone. And the 76ers had four Hall of Famers, and this is the same four Hall of Famers from before. You know what's crazy about this whole thing? Is that Kareem is so famous or so good and and so important, but it feels like in basketball history, Magic Johnson is still like more important and relevant. Definitely relevant today, but I think part of that is just because he's been in and out of front offices. True. <laughs> so anyway, in 1982... Kareem was not that good, but their team was pretty incredible. Magic got another finals MVP, and this was in his third season. Mm-hmm. He had two finals MVPs in three seasons. I mean, in his first three seasons. Damn. <laughs> That's unreal. <laughs> so, in 1983... The 76ers came back for their revenge. They had lost two finals against the Lakers, and this time they weren't going to lose because they added Moses Malone. Oh, my God. The Hall of Fame count for the Lakers was four. And the reason why I put in less was because Bob McAdoo played only 40, 40 total minutes in two games because of a torn hamstring in Game 6 of the West Finals. Rookie James Worthy broke his leg at the end of the regular season. So the Lakers still only had four Hall of Famers, and the 76ers added one in Malone. Whoa. So 4-5. to five. The, the uh, Moses Malone was the MVP that year. I mean, he was just an incredible player. One other thing of note is that Norm Nixon who was the Lakers' starting point guard. I mean, so I guess here's the thing. Magic Johnson was a, uh, was a point forward, so they still had a player so that could guard, like, smaller guys. So Norm Nixon was like a 6'2 point-ish guard, and he was a two-time All-Star, and he actually hurt his shoulder in game one, and he shot like crap after that. So this Lakers team that was swept was mostly swept because of all of the injuries that happened to their team. The 76ers team, unreal. (laughs) More Hall of Famers, plus all of these injuries happened to the Lakers that caused them to... uh, Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's essentially like the the loss is a a wash. You know, it's like, it is a loss, but we don't have to... we, We can look at it with a, you know, with a critical eye. So, the Lakers needed to come back for one more in 1984. The Lakers are now facing a new opponent. The Celtics. The Boston Celtics. Larry Bird, baby. The Hall of Fame count for the Lakers is six. (laughs) McAdoo's back, and James Worthy's playing. The Celtics have four, but... I would say five because Casey Jones was their coach and he is in the Hall of Fame, but he made the Hall of Fame as a player in 1989, I believe. 
and in my opinion, he was not that good of a player. This is kind of a little deep dive into Hall of Fame stuff. But, for example, Tommy Heinsohn was elected into the Hall of Fame as a coach. But he was a worse coach than Casey Jones, coaching for the uh, for the Boston Celtics as well. Mm. But they both played on the same team on the Celtics, the Bill Russell Celtics. And Tommy Heinsohn was actually a better player than Casey Jones was. But Casey Jones was was elected into the Hall of Fame as a player. So I'm just kind of confused personally as to why Casey Jones was was elected into the Hall of Fame as a player, but maybe it was because he was a current coach at the time. I don't know. Yeah, I guess if you if you're a great player and your playing resume is enough to get you in it as a Hall of Famer before your coaching resume catches up, then you just get inducted as a player. I don't know if you can you be double inducted as a player and as a coach. I don't like, think can so. You, like I don't think you could be inducted once as a player and then as a coach. But like, yeah, I think you can be inducted as a player coach, which like both being equally important. A la, I mean, so, I, so Paul Westfall was probably uh, he, he was inducted as a coach, I'm sure. But his playing no, resume. No, Paul Westfall was actually was actually elected in as a player. Really? Yeah, because oh. he was a four time All NBA player, and he never he only got to the finals once as a coach. See, four time All NBA is not really like that. Doesn't strike That's me as Hall of on Fame. On the edge, five time All Star, four time All All NBA, one time champ. I guess and was on a I very good Phoenix team. It's in the late too 70s. easy to get into the Basketball Hall of Fame. <laughs> I if if you ask me if you're a four-time All-NBA, he was a three-time All-NBA first-team player. If you're one of the top five players in the NBA three for three years, you're a Hall of Famer mm. and an NBA champion and a five-time All-Star. Okay, 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 okay. Fine. <laughs> He's clearly a Hall of Fame player, not a Hall of Fame coach. Fine. I'll I'll come up with a different example at some point, but. Point is, and he, Casey Jones was a zero-time All Star. Yes, and he was an eight-time champ. Yet, as a coach, he was an Eastern Conference champion with the Washington Bullets. Then, in the '80s, he became the coach of the Boston Celtics, and he was NBA champion, Eastern Conference champion, NBA champion, Eastern Conference champion. So he was in the finals four times and went two for four as a coach, and he was in the finals with the with the bullets as well and he was uh the coach then mm. he has way more wins than tommy heinz and he has 552 career wins with a 64 percent winning percentage tommy heinz has 427 wins on a 61 percent win percentage so casey jones is just a hall of fame coach i don't know what else to say you know yeah 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 um, I would say he's a Hall of Fame coach, not a Hall of Fame player. That's just my opinion of what the voters were thinking. I just don't think that he could be inducted as a coach at that time because he was still the coach of the Celtics, you know? Right. Um, anyway, <laughs> so that was a little, a very long aside. Just to say that in the 1984 finals, the Celtics did have five Hall of Famers in addition to K- 
Casey Jones. They had Robert Parrish, Dennis Johnson, Kevin McHale, and Larry Bird. Good-ass team. So <laughs> it was a very, very good team. The Celtics were the best regular season team and probably the best team, to be honest. Kareem was the second best player-ish in an NBA Finals at age 37. Anyway. He was 37? This was 85. Yeah. This, no, this is 84. Yes. He's, so he's 36 in 84, right? He turned 37 that year. Ah, got it. Let me just double check. Yeah, he was 37. He turned 37 April 16th. Got it. Okay. So he was 37 years old, and he was the second best player in, a, in, in an NBA Finals. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. But... In 1985, the Lakers and the Celtics are back at it. Yes, they are. The Hall of Fame count was Lakers 5, Celtics 5. Kareem was the best player in the finals at age 38. The reason why there weren't six Hall of Famers was because there was no Jamal Wilkes. Mm. Kareem won a finals MVP at age 38. That's insane to me. Um, Against a team, a Celtics team that was incredible kareem finally gets his revenge on this celtics team that took him to seven games in 1984 and 1974 Mm. what a beautiful button beautiful so here's here's my story about that finals that comes to you from basketball a love story brilliant book if you guys haven't read it you guys got it you got to read it it's a fucking beautiful book it's a history of the nba love me some jackie mack mm-hmm. jackie mack rafe bartholomew and dan Flores, and it's the history of basketball told through important moments told through the mouths of people who were there oh i think they were interviewing for this book for like 10 12 years and it is just a fucking gorgeous masterpiece of a basketball book anyway the story goes as such is that Kareem, he's old, he's 38, and game one against the Boston Celtics at Boston, he was not so hot. He only scored 12 points and had three rebounds and one assist, and everyone was like, Kareem's too old, he can't do it again, he's, he only played 22 minutes, I think he kind of got hurt, everyone's like, he can't do it, he's old. Then... There's four games between game one, four days between game one and game two. He's watching film. He's getting prepared. He said, "I want to be the most prepared I can for this for this game." Then wow. he says to the coach, he says, he says to his coach, he says, "I need my father to ride on the team bus with us," which was unheard of. It's He's just a like against man. the rules. Nobody rides on the team bus except the team. But when Kareem asked, everyone said, "You know what? Fuck it." What Kareem wants, Kareem gets. His dad rides the bus. Kareem shows up to the game. He gets 30 points, 17 rebounds, 8 assists. Plays 42 minutes at age 38. Oh, my God. The Lakers go on to win the series. Mind you, they beat Boston at home. Boston had only lost three games at home that whole season. Oh, my God. (laughs) <laughs> so i mean that's just an amazing story that he the the comeback of of being 
so like looked down on like oh he can't do it he's old he's too old he can't do it he's past his prime and then he scored 30 26 21 36 29 in the following (laughs) five games he's so good oh he's so good can you imagine if michael jordan played that well against a team half as good as the celtics ever in his life that team was so i mean shit at 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 age 38 what was michael doing at age 38 uh, he was playing in for the Wizards. <laughs> and he was fine. He was and like he pro- was a, he was a good props player. To Michael for scoring, you know, twenty averaging twenty points as a thirty eight year old is really impressive. Yeah, really, we'll see really, what really impressive. LeBron's going to average twenty five points a game as a thirty eight year old, so we'll see. He very well might. He very well might. I would not be surprised. That's the insane part. Is that yes, LeBron had a, his first serious injury ever in his career, but. Like, people now aren't talking about how well LeBron James takes care of his body. I think that there could be an interesting twilight. Yeah, I think that I think LeBron could surprise us all with the last, with the next five years. Just like Kareem did. All right, back to Kareem. Uh, So, Kareem, he's in the twilight of his career, finals MVP again, and. In 1986, they don't get back to the finals. Mm-hmm. The Hall of Fame count was four for the Lakers. And they lost in the Western Finals to Hakeem Olajuwon, Ralph Sampson. Bill Fitch was their coach, just elected in the Hall of Fame in 2019 as well. Congratulations to him. So they got destroyed by this team, but they did have three Hall of Famers. And they had the great... Mitchell Wiggins and PD Jim Peterson. Oh shit! How can you even think to compete when you're playing oh. up against Jim Peterson in the Shout Western Finals? Shout to Jim Peterson, oh, our favorite <laughs> dude. We now, love you, Jimbo. Now we know why he can't why he can't cast aspersions against Andrew because he was playing <laughs> with Andrew's father in the 1986 Finals. Yeah, I he must he must have talked about that. I just I just I guess I missed it. I mean, I guess we both missed it. I'm sure that all of the smarter people listening to this podcast are are like ca- Duh. casting aspersions against us. Dude, listen, I can guarantee you 100% that we are the biggest Timberwolves fans that listen to this podcast. Yeah, that's there true cuz nobody it's, who's cuz it's cuz it's us and our parents. <laughs> Not a lot of competition. Hey. Maybe Beast Mode. Beast Mode might be like, you guys, come on. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Beast Mode knows this shit. Hey, shouts to Beast Mode. Beast Mode? Uh, so they lose to that really great uh, that, that really great Rockets team. But in 1987, they come back. They come back for more against the Celtics. The Celtics were on their third year in a row of being in the finals but they just could never beat the Lakers. They lost 4-2 to two once again in the 1987 Finals. Interesting Hall of Fame count here. The Celtics actually had six, but Bill Walton was their 10th man. There are so many Hall of Famers <laughs> that like, at this point, I'm like, well, what's five, what's six, what's four? <laughs> but the Lakers had four Hall of Famers. The reason being is because this time, for sure, there was no 
Bob McAdoo, or Jamal Wilkes. The Celtics had six Hall of Famers, but the finals MVP was Magic Johnson. The 1988 finals, the Lakers beat the bad boy Pistons four to three. Yeah, that's right. This is insane because the Lakers only had four Hall of Famers. The Pistons had five. Adrian Dantley, Joe Dumars, Chuck Daly, Dennis Rodman, and Isaiah Thomas. IT, baby. IT, baby. Kareem is 40 at this point. Kareem is 40 years old. He played 80 games. He played oh. eight. He played 28. So he played 29 minutes a game. Oh, my God. At age 40. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> what were his playoff numbers like? He was 41. Oh. He, was he was playing 30, 30 minutes a game in the playoffs. He turned 41 in April of that year. God damn, Kareem. That being said, in terms of actual game score, Kareem was not very good. <laughs> he was their fifth best player. So in terms of game score, it was Magic Johnson, then James Worthy, then Byron Scott, then AC Green, then Kareem. So he was the fifth best Yo, player on that team. I don't give a fuck. If you're 41 and you're the fifth best player on a championship team, you are fucking star in seven games are you kidding me he played in seven all seven games he played over 200 minutes in a finals at age 41 wrap it up wrap it up i like (laughs) put it in a fucking box send it in kareem uh james worthy was the finals mvp but he was able to do something that jordan was never able to he beat that bad boy pistons team not only with a healthy Isaiah, but Adrian Dantley. Michael Jordan could never do that. The one time that Michael Jordan did beat that bad boy's Pistons team, Isaiah Thomas missed three months, and they ended up sweeping. The Bulls ended up sweeping because Isaiah just came back for the playoffs on one hand. Mm. But that's another NBA what if. Another NBA what if. Also, let's mention that the next year in the playoffs, (laughs) Kareem got swept by those bad boy Pistons. Yeah, that was a really good team. That team was probably better than their team, honestly. Yeah, and Kareem was 42. Yeah, Kareem was 42 (laughs) that year, and the Hall of Fame count was still Lakers 4, Pistons 5. Yeah, and, you know, those those last few are interesting because – it's not so much Kareem's t- it's, I mean, it's definitely not Kareem's team anymore. I mean, it hadn't been Kareem's team since probably, like, what, 83, 84? Mm-hmm. Oh, I take it back. Uh, Adrian Dantley was not on Detroit, so their Hall of Fame count was even. Sorry. Okay, okay. Well, yeah, so it hadn't been Kareem's team for several, several years. And... So it is it is interesting to look at the the latter half of his career. I think the the part that is so interesting is that he was both able to be the best player on a championship team and lead a team to championships and also mold into a secondary, a third, a fourth a option. <laughs> fifth option role. He he and, was the and, best and player, like, he was the second best player and he played as the fifth best player. Yeah, it's just, it's, I mean, that, that 
is special in its own right for different reasons than, you know, LeBron and Jordan are special. But we saw a Jordan couldn't be anything but the number one option. And as we saw in 1995, he wasn't the number one option. And then he comes back and he is the number one option next to a first team all NBA player in Scottie Pippen. He should have probably deferred, then, but he couldn't. And yeah. then they got beaten by the uh, Orlando Magic. Yeah, and the, you know the team suffered because of it for for a number of reasons, like regaining chemistry, figuring out how to replay, and also just like you know, Scotty was playing a certain way the whole season, and then he had to switch the way that he played because Michael came back. That's right. And I I don't know if we're gonna see LeBron transform into a the second, third, fourth best player on his team. I don't know if he's really ready to do that. I don't know if his game is such that. It, it can do that. But I would say he's certainly more equipped than Michael Jordan was to do that. Michael Jordan was at 37 and 38, still the best player on the Wizards. <laughs> yeah, I think I think LeBron, if if he can get his mind right, can really stretch out his career and win a couple more championships. I mean, depending on what happens with the Lakers, we'll see. But he's going to have to learn from the man who won six championships and was in 10 finals. Kareem. Abdul-Jabbar. You listen, Dylan, you really may have – first, I want to commend you on your research. The amount of time and effort you put into this fucking watching tape on YouTube, <laughs> that's, that is super commendable, and I, I appreciate you for that. Second, I want to say you may have convinced me. You may have convinced me that Kareem is the best player of all time from the longevity, the consistency, the adaptability – you know the the professionalism that's right he's he's the whole package man lebron has some work left to do in his career jordan is still michael jordan like jordan's peak may be higher than anybody else's peak so true but does that does that make the goat as a player now let me just finish this up with a little bit of a soliloquy and by a little mm. bit i mean it's a three page soliloquy that i wrote all right. <laughs> Kareem Abdul-Jabbar beat so many legendary teams. It wasn't just that he went to 10 finals or that he won six championships. He beat a legendary Bullets team in 71. He lost to a legendary Celtics team in seven games, carrying the team on his back in 74. He beat some incredible Celtics teams, and he was 2-1 against that incredible 76ers team with Dr. J on it. On top of all of that, he beat the bad boys that Jordan was never able to beat full strength. I would argue that all of those teams was better than a team Jordan faced ever in a finals or a conference finals, except the two Pistons teams that he did lose to. Mm. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was the best player in four finals series. He was the best player in 74, should have won MVP. 71 when he did win it 80 what was it 85 when he won it yeah and he was the best player in 1980 when yeah. uh when magic had that one incredible game he was the best player in yep. four final series he won six regular season mvps to jordan's five he had 15 all nba appearances to jordan's 11 and oh yeah <laughs> he was the best college basketball player of all time winning three championships in three years and being the player the most outstanding player of each tournament 
Michael yeah. Jordan was the third best, maybe the second best player on his national championship team. James Worthy was the most outstanding player, and Sam Perkins had similar stats. Jordan did that was steal a crazy the game. team. Jesus Christ! It was an incredible <laughs> team. They're, like if they wouldn't have won the championship with two Hall of Fame NBA players on it and a solid NBA player in Sam Perkins, like if they wouldn't have won that in '82, I would love to look back at which college teams had the most. Like if there were any other college teams that had two Hall of Fame NBA players on them ever, ever. <laughs> That's an interesting deep dive. At the, that's something I'm going to do later. All right. Convince me <laughs> on something else. Yeah. I will say, Jordan did seal the game with a clutch shot at the end. Not only did your boy watch NBA games, but he had to watch college games for this. And Dylan. <laughs> this interesting team that he that he played was basically Patrick Ewing and a bunch of schlubs. So Michael Jordan hits this clutch shot, and North Carolina's ahead. Then Georgetown has the ball with a chance to win it, and he passes it to James Worthy. It was one of the most embarrassing plays I've ever seen. Their point guard literally passed the ball to James Worthy. There was no Georgetown player in the vicinity. <laughs> he, he was scared of the moment. People, scared of the damn moment. He passed the ball. <laughs> anyway, uh, that doesn't take anything away from James Worthy. He was the best player on that team. By yeah, here's here's moment. the thing about Kareem is that the the fact that Kareem played pre-expansion in, in um, a much more – like he played through one of the densest talent p- times in the NBA. Yes. Um, which created some insane teams, the likes of which we will never see again. Like I, I don't know if we'll ever see a sixth Hall of Fame team again in the NBA. Maybe not. And to be honest, like on top of that, the 70s, he had Wilt, he had John Havlicek. He had like so many really, really, really great players. The John Havlicek, Dave Cowan's team, you know, like he had so, so many great teams that he had to play. And the fact that there were only uh, 12 teams or whatever and 14 teams just made those teams all that much deeper. Yeah. I would say that the NBA really didn't start to get that much better until after Jordan had left. And it's probably as a result of Jordan because of what he meant to our culture. But um, I want to go back to advanced stats. Obviously, uh, Jordan and LeBron kill him in VORP, in bench plus minus, all that. But can you imagine how many win shares Kareem Abdul-Jabbar would have if they included his first four seasons with those two MVP seasons in there? I, I, you know, it's it's tough to speculate because I, I just don't, I don't know. But I imagine, I imagine that it, things would look a lot better for Kareem. <laughs> what I want is for, like, Zach Cram to do a deep dive into this and to count all of the blocks and steals and to actually estimate what Kareem's VORP would be. Now, that would be dope. So, Zach Cram, get on that. Anyway, not only was Kareem the GOAT on the court, but to me, he's the GOAT off the court. Michael Jordan is a billionaire. And what do we think about billionaires, Chalanga? Well, why don't we bring in Bernie to tell us what we think about billionaires? We have to stop the millionaires and the billionaires. 
Hey, Bernie. Thank you, Bernie. It's good to see you. You know what? I used to hate Bernie coming on the pod, but at this point, I'm all for it, man. Congratulations on uh, deciding to to run for president again. I, I'm I'm really excited for this the second take at it. I think you got a good shot. I'm just doing this for the grassroots movement and to get the people excited for 2020. All right, thanks, Bernie. We love you. Uh, I, I, you could see yourself out. We know. Um, we'll check in with you later. Okay. Thanks, Bernie. Bye. So, as Bernie says, Jordan is a billionaire, and we don't like billionaires who invest in prisons. <laughs> by the way he does he invests in prisons and he has a shoe that's basically michael jordan off the coat uh, off the court i will say he does give money to charity and blah blah blah, blah, blah whatever lebron james creates charities he creates charities like the i promise school yes that's one of the most incredible charities that any nba player has ever started he uses his voice as a social activist and is very outspoken politically, much in the same way that Kareem and Muhammad Ali before him were. On top of all of this, he's an amazing father and husband to his high school sweetheart. So sweet. Michael Jordan was definitely a cheater. Okay, but and here's the thing. Here's the thing about Michael. An underrated thing about Michael is that he is so invested in incarceration and prisons but makes millions and millions and millions of dollars selling overpriced shoes to black people who he then pays to have in prisons <laughs> michael jordan's the worst black man of all time Convin- maybe not that's the, the worst. next maybe that's not the, the next worst. nope that's the next convince me <laughs> bill cosby number two Oh man, but it's just like it's it's just it's the darkest web of business that is so like people don't give a shit. It's just like Michael's Michael's a shit. Michael's a shit. When really he's a traitor to the cause. He's keeping the black men down by taking their money and putting them in jail. And putting them in prison. He's literally he's literally taking their money and then helping put them in jail. Uh you couldn't be I'm preaching sorry. to more of a choir right now. I'm sorry. It just Kareem, like... on the other hand, sold most of his mem- his championship memorabilia and Lakers memorabilia for kids. And his, and I quote, "If it's Jesus. between my memories and the kids, I'm going to choose the kids." Oh man, I love you, Kareem. I will say when that I was, was reading about Michael Jordan, I was I was clipping. I was just just so you know. Oh, so good. <laughs> you can't wait. <laughs> Kareem doesn't have the money that LeBron and Jordan have, but he didn't seek material wealth. What no, he seeked he was far deeper. Wealth. He has such spiritual wealth. He had such an incredible career that spanned cameos on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And yes. didn't he, wasn't he on that show? I don't know. Maybe. I think so. Probably. All right. Let's just say he was. Uh, <laughs> that span Airplane and countless other TV shows that I didn't watch because I wasn't born. He is truly our basketball Buddha. Our basketball Allah, because he is such a gentle soul. After my research, though, I must admit, Chalanga, the reality is that there is no goat. Because of what I learned from Kareem, I learned that there is no goat. (laughs) I did some more research, and I realized that there's never been a player 
to win an NBA championship by himself, with the possible exception of Bill Walton in 1977, where he was the only Hall of Fame player on his team, at least dating back to the Celtics. <laughs> and even then, Bill Walton had a Hall of Fame coach in Jack Ramsey. So, Chalanga, because of Kareem, I learned that we are all a product of our environment and our circumstances. And I think that, as with the NBA, we should all realize that our fortunes and our misfortunes are more a result of the things happening around us and not because of us. Each of our fortunes is a blessing, and each of our misfortunes should serve as a reminder that we can't do amazing things alone. For example, I couldn't do this podcast without you, Chilanga. Are you convinced? <laughs> Dylan, that's a hell of a way to end it. You've convinced me of one thing. I love you, buddy. Thanks, everyone, for listening to our Convince Me series. Uh, make sure you go back and listen to episode one and two if you didn't get a chance. Uh, I never expected it to end this beautifully. Thank you so much, Dylan, for your wonderful words and all the research you did. Please listen to our 30th episode, The Puppies, live from the Target Center. Uh, and as always, make sure you subscribe and download to the Coast to Coast NBA podcast. Leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Uh, don't forget to follow us on social media on Twitter at Coast to Coast NBA, on Instagram at Coast to Coast NBA Pod. Send us an email at Coast to Coast NBA Pod at gmail.com. And uh, Dylan, before we go, I just got to thank you one more time. I, that, that was, I'm almost in tears hearing that, the end of that. Um, thank you to Dylan. Thank you to Kareem Abdul Jabbar for being such an inspirational figure. Woo! And uh, shout out. Thank you. Thank you to the NBA for giving us something to talk about once a week. Uh, we love you sometimes so much. More, sometimes less. We sometimes love you more, all. sometimes a lot less. That's it. Thanks, everyone. That's all, folks, as Anthony Davis would say. Peace.